Uh, let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, as we meet here on Ghana lands, we are so thankful that you are a God who speaks in all cultures and at all times. And uh, we pray, speak to us now through your word. Amen. Well, it's just such a delight to be with you. And uh, today we're going to be thinking about what it means to be human in God's world. I think this is a question that really the world has grappled with over the last several years since kind of COVID and that kind of thing has happened, that we, we found that this, this COVID thing happened in our world and all of a sudden a lot of the things that we felt it meant to be human were taken away from us. Human contact, for example. We had a number of you know, lockdowns. Um, and a, a, a not being able to speak face-to-face with people, not sure what to do with our bodies. Can I be in your space? Do I greet you with my elbow? W- what do I do? Just our normal ways of being in our bodies uh, were disrupted. And without being able to be in contact with people or to touch people, there was this sense that things were not quite right, um, that maybe we were made for something a bit more tangible and physical than Zoom meetings, um, that there was just something that was, that was better that was out there, that this is not quite what humans were made for. I think that these issues that came about as a result of COVID, though, in some ways only exacerbated what was already present in our society. Uh, so my boys have told you that everything beeps at you in Australia. Um, but, you know, you go through supermarkets and it's it's not just beep, 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 beep. It's you don't even speak to, you know, a human being anymore. It's just unexplained item in bagging area or whatever, whatever the lady says. <laughs> um, we hear of uh, people who go to the doctor just to have someone to speak to because they don't, they don't get to have conversations with, with people. There's this kind of growing sense of disconnect in our society and this feeling that, are we... Are we made for that? Is that who we're meant to be? Um, In Tanzania, people are also asking questions about what it means to be human and how to interact with each other and the environment and their bodies. Um, In Tanzania, there's been really rapid urbanisation that's happened over the last 10 10 or 20 years. And so people are um, having, seeing changes in their extended families where their, their family... Uh, and the people they know is becoming smaller. Um, they're losing contact with their traditional languages. Um, they might not know the traditions that their grandparents held. And um, people are going from having once worked on land to now working in offices. And um, actually one of the things that Arthur's done with the TAFES staff is to just do some basic, here's how to set up your office so that you don't get sore backs Um, I know we in the West know all about sore backs, but this is a new thing in Tanzania because people have previously been out on the farm using their bodies and they haven't had those same kind of issues. Um, Similarly, one of the things that I did, and I mean, you never think you're going to do this stuff when you start out as a missionary, I ran aerobics classes for for the staff just so that they had a chance to move their bodies so that they weren't just sitting in chairs all the time. And so that people find this sense of just, I don't know, I even know what to do with my body anymore because the world is changing around us. Um, and so we're seeing lifestyle changes in Tanzania, which, you know, type 2 diabetes, obesity, these kinds of things 
which previously have been completely unknown in Tanzania, are now, are now um, an issue that people are having to work through. And so people are asking, who am I in God's world? What am I meant to be doing in this world? And so that's the question I'd like uh, for us to consider today. And in Genesis, we get this beautiful, succinct story of God creating humans and then telling them how to be in his world. So I'm going to read it to you, and we're going to go over it a few times uh, uh, today. So from Genesis 1.27, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. So this is almost the end of the first creation account. You know, you have the first creation account in Genesis 1, then we get it again in Genesis 2. And so God has made light and space and then water and land, and then he's filled them to bursting. They are teeming with life, and God looks at each one and he says, this is good. And then we come to the sixth day. And God's created animals already, but now he does something astonishing. He creates something in his own image. He's already created the sun and trees and wolves, but they are not the representation of God. They are not his image. These two humans together, they are his image. They are his representative. They do God's work in the world. And this has implications for how we think about what it means to be human. Um, I imagine that you have said, I certainly know that I have said at times, oh, I'm only human, as if being human is about our failings or our inadequacies. But in Genesis, being human is not about being fallen or being less. It's about being glorious. It's showing what God is like by doing God's work in his world. Now, obviously, later on in Genesis, we're going to get to the fall and we're going to see this kind of fallenness of human beings. But that is not the essence of who human beings are. The essence of human beings is that we are made in God's image to do his work in the world. And, and of course, today, we only know humanity in its uh, fallen state Um, But that's a marring of humankind. It's not the fullness of what it means to be a human and to be the image of God. Um, But, of course, we do know what it looks like to be fully human and be without sin, don't we? Because we see that in Jesus. And Jesus' work of restoring humanity is not taking us away from our humanness, but taking us more fully into it. It's not making us something more ethereal, more out there, but more grounded that we might better reflect who God is. And so today as we talk about what it means to be human, it's this creational aspect that we have on view. And Jesus' um, work in us, restoring and recreating us in his image once again. That's what it means to be human. And in Genesis, human is not just something that you are, but something that you live out. God doesn't just create human beings, uh, he gives them a task to do. So we express our humanity, not merely by existing, but in the living out of this task. And it's as we live out this task that we are the image of God. 
And so, in verse 28, God blesses this image of himself and he explains to them their task in the world. Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds and blah, 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 blah. So this is the human task. To be fruitful, increasing, fill the earth and rule over it. That's what it means to be human. That's what it means to live as God's image, God's representative. So if you want to feel more human, if you want to feel more alive, if you want to feel more in sync with God's purposes, how do you do it? Well, by being fruitful, increasing, filling the earth and ruling over it. These four things are known to us as the creation mandate. Mandate meaning the official order that's been given and creation meaning um, it was given when God created humans. So we have here God setting out for human beings who they are, what they are to do in his world. And in a world of incredible diversity, different peoples and cultures and languages, all with their own different challenges and their own way of doing things, this is a kind of back to basics. Doesn't matter what culture you're in, doesn't matter what people you're in, doesn't matter what your age is or anything else. If you want to be human in God's world, you need to be fruitful, increasing, filling the earth and ruling over it. Now, just what that means and how we live it out is a little more complicated. Different cultures read and understand the Bible in different ways and two Christians can take the same Bible verse and apply it very differently. I think that ought not to surprise us. God is, after all, an an incarnating God. He makes his home amongst us in different cultures Same God, same Bible, same desire to follow Jesus, but different context, which requires a different application. And so in Tanzania, the Holy Spirit will take a Bible passage and do something different with that same Bible passage to what he does in Australia. And for us in Australia, that is an opportunity to learn because we see God is doing this thing over here. Oh, maybe that shines light on my culture or on how I've understood things. Um, Maybe it shows me a blind spot. And so when we hear from another culture and how they interpret the Bible, it can be quite uh, insightful for us. It can give us another perspective and a chance to ask, what can I learn from this people and from how they read the Bible? And that's the opportunity I want to bring to us today. I'd like to take you through um, one Tanzanian reading of this passage and how uh, their insights speak to and challenge us in Australia. So, remember the creation mandate? God blesses them and he says to them, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over, blah, 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 all the things. So, the first part of this creation mandate, the first part of being human that God gives to humanity is to live out their fruitfulness. They are to be fruitful. Um, This is not the first time that we've seen God talking about fruitfulness and production. In verse 11, on day three, when God made the plants and vegetation, he made them to bear fruit. And then in verse 12, to bear fruit according to their kind. Then on day five, when he made the creatures that filled the sky and the sea, he commanded them uh, to be fruitful as well. And then we have this command to human beings. Be fruitful and in a minute... Uh, We'll get on to increasing. But I just want to dwell on this idea of fruitfulness for a minute. When it comes to trees and seed-bearing plants, um, fruitfulness is an image of reproduction. Uh, So the fruit holds uh, the seeds that grow to be the next plants. And if you don't have uh, fruit, 
then you don't get more plants. Uh, so I saw, the other day I saw a particularly laden lemon tree and I commented to the gardening enthusiast whose lemon tree it was, how amazing it was that it was so full of lemons. And uh, he said, oh no, that's probably a sign that it's dying. And I said, why? It looks so healthy and vital. And he said, oh no, this is the thing that lemon trees do is uh, just before they die, they, they get very fruitful in a last ditch effort to try to reproduce itself. Um, maybe you know more about lemon trees than I do, but I, I was amazed by that, that it was just like, I'm about to die. Quick, put all my seeds out into the world. Um, there is no such desperation on view in this view of the world here in Genesis because death is yet to touch this world. This is fruitfulness not because of a fear of death, but because fruitfulness is part of God's own character and we are the image of God. He is a creative God. He is constantly tending, nurturing, bringing to fruition. Indeed, creation itself is part of God's fruitfulness. And part of the reason that humans are to be fruitful is because they're like God. Um, And God, of course, does not reproduce himself. This is not Olympus and there are no mini gods and goddesses running around. Um, But he is a God who brings about fruitfulness. And this is how Tanzanians interpret the idea of fruitfulness. It's about producing something, being productive, not only in the sense of having children, but in every sphere of life. I found this a somewhat surprising interpretation in Tanzania because they are big into having lots of children. Um, It's not like in previous generations where they had 10 or 20 children, Um, but they were a bit scandalised that we only had two. And uh, they kept urging us to have more. Uh, And yet, with all this valuing of having lots of children, they see this call to fruitfulness here in the creation mandate as about far more than just having children. After all, God had given them the whole creation in which to be fruitful. And so just as humans are compelled to multiply uh, biologically, so too we ought to be driven to initiative in all areas of life. In Tanzania, this means economic, personal, in our relationships, in our careers. Um, So when God looks at them, at humans, and charges them with their work in the world, it truly is in all the world. Fruitfulness is not contained in the family. And I think what this does for us is to blow wide open how we are to be at work in God's world. Because wherever you are, you can be fruitful. There is no sacred or secular in creation. This is God's world and humans are to be productive in it. And I think this is true even if you consider yourself to be in your twilight years. It's not a matter that, oh, well, I was fruitful when I had my three children and that fruitfulness part of my life is over. Or, um, you know, obviously they they may be um, producing more children as you go along and you may have 20 grandchildren, I don't know how many great-grandchildren. But it, it allows you to say, My fruitfulness is actually a now thing that I'm currently involved in. So, um, you know, if you have a profession, if you're a doctor, um, be a good doctor. You look after people's bodies and minds, you bring healing to them, and you know that that is the work that God has given to you. If you are visiting people and working with people, um, you are 
you are building community there. This is exactly the kind of fruitfulness and productiveness that God calls us to, and it's possible at, at every stage. Um, even those who work in technology, repairing or making our systems more efficient, are being fruitful in God's world. And obviously some fruit is more tangible than others. I think when you see a, a home builder and it goes from concrete slab to home, you look at that and say, oh, that's very fruitful. I can see what you've produced there. It's often harder when you um, see people who are sowing seeds among children, caring, caring for young children, perhaps caring for grandchildren. That is longer-term fruitful work, but it is also, it is still fruitful. And so we as humanity are engaged in this work of fruitfulness in God's world. So we're fruitful in the world and in the whole world. And secondly, then, we are to be increasing. And again, this is an easy one to read in terms of childbearing and rearing. And uh, certainly that is on view here. Uh, At this stage, humanity is a grand total of two. And there's a big world out there um, that they need to rule. So obviously, they're going to need some more people to be doing that ruling. But again, Tanzanians take this idea of increasing and they see it as setting out how God's people are to function in the world more generally, that we are to be a people of increase. Um, No no doubt you've heard um, of the prosperity gospel in Africa, this idea that God always wants you to be wealthy. Uh, He wants you to be wealthy and he always wants you to be getting more wealthy as well. It gets preached a lot in Africa. Here's what we don't hear in the West. In Tanzania, when people preach that God wants you to be wealthy, there's a second half to that sentence that we don't hear. The second half, so the first half is God wants you to be wealthy. The second half to the sentence is so you can provide for others. Makes a big difference, doesn't it? Let me tell you a story from when I was first in Tanzania. It was very early days. Arthur and I were doing a language course with a tutor. And at the time, um, my daily practice was to pray some one-sentence prayers, not the wow, ouch, thank you, sorry, please, that we currently do, but similar kind of idea. And uh, one of the prayers that I was praying was, God, please don't make me rich. And the reason that I was praying this was because the previous year I'd heard a sermon from someone about greed And they were saying that the the essence of greed is a desire and kind of dreaming about being wealthy and that if you spent a lot of time thinking about that, then probably you had a problem with greed. And um, I realised that that was something that I thought about a lot and I thought maybe I need to pray against this greed in my own heart. And so I started praying, God, please don't make me rich. So anyway, I translated this into Swahili because so that, oh, that was what I... Sorry, I missed out that bit. I was taking my prayers and translating them into Swahili. So I was in class trying to translate my prayers and uh, my tutor says to me, no, you've translated this wrong. You've got God, please don't make me rich. And what you meant was, God, please make me rich. <laughs> and I said, no, I wasn't praying for God to make me rich. And he's, he's scratching his head and saying... No, hang on, let's just go over it one more time because the normal thing is that people pray for God to make them rich. So obviously I explained the whole thing to him and it led to this uh, really interesting discussion because on one hand he could see how um, praying for God to make you rich um, can be a sign of greed or selfishness, Uh, but he also wanted to know what the alternative was. 
he said to me, if you're praying for God not to make you rich, are you praying for God to make you poor? Because poverty is deeply dehumanising. It robs you of the chance to be fruitful, to contribute. It forces you into impossible decisions and situations where there is no good choice. Um, Tanzanians know these things well and they cannot see how they are a part of God's plan. Now, I obviously wasn't praying to be destitute. (laughs) Many of us would be familiar with the idea of neither poverty nor riches. Um, uh, Although, of course, what counts as poverty and what counts as riches depends greatly depending on what part of the world you live in. But actually in Tanzania, this is not recommended. People don't say neither poverty nor riches because your prosperity is never just yours alone because if you have a lot you have a lot to share and if you have a little you only have a little to share so the question is how much do you want to have to share a lot or a little and if I want to have neither poverty nor riches that's like saying please God only give me a little bit to share um Is that what we want to pray? For God to only give us a little bit to share? Do we really think that the needs in the world are so few? Or do we just not care? I was was very challenged by that. Uh, In Tanzania, a prayer for God to make you rich is not about you alone. Part of our work in the world is to be increasing uh, because this is how we can be generous. So for many Tanzanians, generosity is baked into what it means to be human and the task that God has given humans in the world. We are to always be increasing that we might be generous. So I wonder if that's how you think about wealth. (laughs) If you get a promotion or an inheritance or um, some kind of payout, um, is your immediate thought that God has increased you so that you might provide for more people? Because remember, we're to be fruitful in the whole world, not just for me, not just for my immediate family, but for the whole world. Um, And the increase applies across the board. I've I've been so challenged by this Tanzanian outlook. And Tanzanians really like to talk about money. It's a bit bit, uh, awkward for us. Um, But they they talk a lot about this idea of generosity and and giving more. And I've, I've thought to myself, gosh, like when I go up a tax bracket, do I rejoice? Because I think this... This extra money that I'm earning was never mine. I was always just holding it in trust for others. And now I'm so glad that it's going to build hospitals and schools and roads and, um, and whatever else. I'm, I'm not sure that's my first thought. <laughs> um, but if we're to learn from our Tanzanian sisters and brothers, it's part of what it means to be human here in Genesis 1, where we are constantly increasing for the sake of others that we might contribute to them and meet their needs. So fruitful in every part of God's world, we are to be people of increase that we might be people who provide for others. And the third thing, and we're going to move a lot faster from here, um, is that we are to be people who fill the earth. So we've talked about fruitful and increasing. Filling here is not about being at capacity as if the earth is a cup that needs to overflow or a sack of potatoes that you can't fit any more in. In Tanzania, it's often about having as big an outlook on the world as God has. So 
at one level, yes, God has put you in this particular place to do work in this, um, in this part, but God's dominion extends over the whole earth and he's put humanity as a whole on the earth as a whole. So when you play your part in the part of the world that God has given you, you still need to keep an eye on the rest of the world as well because you're part of that whole humanity who is filling the whole earth. So because God is interested in his whole world, we too are to have a global perspective. So your congregation might be here, but you are not only a member of St. Matthew's Kensington, you're also a human being in God's world. And you're a little bit less human when you see only the local and you forget the global. So part of being human means seeing and being involved in God's whole world. So every time you hear a CMS missionary speak about what God is doing, every time you go to a CMS conference or give to CMS or read a prayer letter from a CMS missionary, you get the chance to see a little bit more of the world, to be a little bit more human, a little bit more in the image of God who loves the whole world. I wonder if you've thought of that before, of how part of what God created you to do is to be a CMS supporter. Okay, I'm being a little cheeky. I'm being a little cheeky. There are lots of ways to be involved in God's world. (laughs) Let me commend to you, for example, International Justice Mission, uh, who work with trafficked people bringing hope and healing. Or Arocha, uh, who care for creation because they know fruitfulness depends on care and, uh, and climate crisis harms the most vulnerable. Or Tear Fund, which works to um, end poverty in Jesus' name. Or Wycliffe Bible Translators, who translate the Bible to bring God's word uh, uh, to those who don't, God's word to those who don't have it. And then, of course, there's CMS, uh, who uh, who are people from us who go out and who live in other parts of the world, working for justice, caring for creation, combating poverty, and sharing the gospel in gospel poor places and raising leaders for church and society. And as we see more of God's world, we express who God made us to be as people, caring for his world, his whole world, as he does. And this brings us to the last thing about God's world, that we are to rule over it, or some versions of the Bible say to subdue it. Well, I wonder what you think of when you think of ruling over the world. So often our ideas of rulership are determined by faulty models of leadership that exist in our fallen world. They're about domination and exploitation. But that, of course, is not how God rules his world. God, who loves the world, who is at work in his world, who is fruitful and productive and calls us to do these same things. And as we come as rulers to God's world, then we come in obedience to him and dependence on him. We who are his image Learn how to be in the world from him, recognising that it is his world and not ours. And so we need to use the earth for God's purposes. So, yes, we want to be fruitful in his world. We want to see production go on and on rather than simply using whatever resources there are until they're all gone. And this is why Christians ought to be at the forefront of advocating for creation, care and climate justice. As we understand better how God has set up his world, we can take better care of it. We can be more fruitful in it. And we, can, uh, and we can understand better how to love and provide for others with our sights not simply set on our own patch, but globally so that people in God's world would, um, would show a little more of what it means to be human. 
So these are these uh, four things, being fruitful, productive, increasing and um, ruling. No, I said that wrong. Fruitful, increase, filling and ruling. That's it. <laughs> um, those four things. These are the things that God wants for Christians, but they're what he wants for his whole creation, doesn't he? Um, but they're, of course, most fully expressed in those who know him. We who know him are not guessing at what it means to be human. We have the Bible that we can read that tells us. We know the true human, Jesus. We have the words of God himself telling us what it means to be human. And so we're not guessing at what it means to be human. We're not thinking up various philosophies of trying to work that out. We know the living God who has revealed himself and teaches us who we are together in his image. And as our world and those around us find themselves becoming less human or not quite sure how to work in the world, we who live out what it means uh, to be human are fruitful and generous like our God. In God's world, we bring hope and healing and we do it because we are his image in the world. We are fruitful and generous because that's who God is and who he calls us to be in his world. The ascended Jesus is doing his work of bringing things to fruition, recreating and renovating his world with us and through us. We are part of the new people he is making where, for all eternity, we'll be fruitful and generous together as God's rule extends over the whole creation once and for all. It'll be a world where, unlike the COVID world, human touch is safe and beautiful, where human interaction reflects God's holy love, where nobody is lonely or frustrated. But we're part of that new creation now. We point to what is to come and we are part of what is to come. And so the more that we embody this humanity, the more we live into who God made us to be, the more we image that God and the more we bring and point to what is coming, the more we live out our words. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.